Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to the House of Miyazaki, the latest entry in the House Light series here on the Nerd Party Network. This week, we are starting a series on the dedicated and directed works of Hayao Miyazaki in the 1980s with the 1984 Nausicaa of the Valley of the Winds. I'm Darren Moser, and I'm joined again by my friends, Master Swordsman Lord Riddell and Top Glider Pilot John Mills of the Toxic Jungle. So gentlemen, we are entering into the realm of Japanese animation with again, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. And this is not only, I think, your guys' first viewing of this film, but kind of a introductory foyer into Japanese animation, which uh, I'm really curious to see your insights on that. Well, a- anime, no. I, I was yeah. uh, I was a hardcore anime fan uh, back in the 80s. Uh, Robotech is where I cut my teeth. Oh, there and we go. That there was, we go. Okay. Th- that, was, that was a show where I learned how to operate my VCR back then, because again, <laughs> I'm older than you guys. And that was that was a trick to program those things because like it, it actually had turning dials and stuff like that. And I figured out how to record uh, Robotech. I was the only kid in school who watched it. And I was like, you don't get it, man. So presage <laughs> of my future. Oh, Robotech is great. Yeah. That's it interesting is. because in um, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, but the, the nerds in my school growing up, like in in middle school, like a lot of them liked Robotech. I so was I think hip- it's just you you were ahead of the curve, yeah. I, I was a hipster nerd. <laughs> I was uh I was the before one that was, was able cool. to go around. Yeah. I, I I loved it before it was cool. But I've always wanted to get into uh into uh Miyazaki. I like I've I've heard a lot of great things and uh I'm really looking forward to this journey because I know that even uh Roger Ebert, I mean he took every opportunity he could to praise stuff like uh, Princess Mononoke and Howl's Moving Castle and all of those sorts of things. So I've I don't know why this gap exists for me, but uh, I'm thrilled to, you know, we have an excuse to, uh, to, to fill that gap in. Yeah. It's kind of the same story for me. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I've, I've seen anime before. Like I've seen Akira and Cowboy Bebop and Ghost in the Shell and, and, you know, like the, the greats like that. But like John, I never had ventured into Miyazaki. I, I, I have tons of friends who really like it. And they kept trying to say, they're like, no, 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 you need to try it. Like you need to watch it because like even people who don't like anime, like this one, you know, like, like Miyazaki and and things like that. Like, I can't tell you how many times people have said that to me. Um, But it just, for some reason, it was kind of like, like lost back in the day where everyone was telling you that you needed to watch (laughs) lost and you just didn't watch lost because almost overhyped because of it. Yeah. That's kind of how Miyazaki was for me and uh, i have i have 
two very close friends who have made it basically a part of their identity. So when I told them that uh, I was going to be doing this for a podcast, they got super excited and said like, make sure you do this, make sure you do that. And I'm like, shut up. I'm going to do this. I'm doing the eighties. We have a format. Uh, we're going to stick to it. <laughs> Never go off the rails. So again, so this movie came out in 1984. And so 37 years ago, just, you know, a drop in the bucket. When did you see it? When when did you when when were you first exposed to Miyazaki? So this one I had had seen earlier. A lot of it has really been for me in the last decade as I've been watching it with my kids. So we love like my neighbor Totoro and How Was Moving Castle, Kiki's Delivery Service. I love those and watch them on repeat ad nauseum. So, but for this one, I probably yeah probably about maybe 15 years ago, first watching it just to kind of see where he started. Uh, because this is, while this did come out in 84, which was just before the founding of Studio Ghibli, it's kind of considered grandfathered in as kind of like the beginning of that era of his directing career. Uh, so, because uh, I mean, we're starting in 1984 for the 80s and we're going to hit four films because uh, he's cranking them out. So, uh, be a little be very quick uh but yeah i'm i'm really interested in in diving into this with you guys yeah that was one thing that was very uh when i looked at that timetable i was just like how how is this possible from an animation standpoint like it takes right. 18 months to make a family guy episode you know like how on earth or you know, are, disney's are they, are they turnaround is you know years and years and years one at a time maybe two uh, as they're trying to crank it out well, what I think is really interesting, just because you mentioned Disney there, one of the things I was struck by here with, with this being my first viewing was the vibe that I got from it was very similar to Don Bluth uh, in the 80s. And, mm. um, you know, other other works, I, I actually, um, uh, you know, I, I actually found some aspects of it, and this is going to seem um, really kind of odd, but it was uh, it was very similar to like Ralph Bakshi sort of stylings. I'm not uh, sure. The, who, I'm not sure like, who that is. Uh, he did. Um, uh, he did the original animated version of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, oh, that, okay, yeah. And he Where also did used, uh, rotoscoping yeah, cool world and and, and uh, I okay, Fritz I see the that cat now. and stuff like that. Um, not that Bakshi is anything like this or on this sort of consistency level, but it, it has a very similar sort of line work to it and sort of yeah. a similar approach to color. Color and, you know, in anime, they have, they kind of go between the line of a realistic human and like a very caricatured human. And they kind of mix them all together. So you might have some characters that are overtly short and squat and don't really fit in. And then others that are, you know, almost rotoscoped in their proportions. So, it, yeah, but I could see that connection uh, in that art style. Well, one of the things I wanted to to start with is uh, what was the what was your overall takeaway with the theme of the story? Because it's very heavily themed. I mean, it's obviously making uh, it's making commentary on you know these bigger aspects besides just plants and animals and being out in the the toxic forest but how did that come across like what was your takeaway john on that on this first watch 
Well, I mean, you know, the the environmental stuff is is definitely there, and you know, Nausicaa, you know, has that communal, uh, you know, connection with nature and everything. But what I found to be what makes sense to me, I guess, in in this aspect is that in terms of environmental messaging, Japanese film, all the way to Godzilla, and I, I stay with me here very much bears the psychic scars of having been having had atomic bombs dropped on them yes and so there's very much that sort of echo here in nausicaa as well because it's the idea of the land itself is toxic how are we going to survive but then also having faith that nature can find a way to restore itself so long as we can get out of its way and Mm -hmm. also you know the 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 monster that they're trying to bring back to life, right. the giant warrior, yeah, is is very much very reminiscent of the idea of atomic weaponry. Of why on earth would you bring this back? Let it let it go away. Never use it again. It doesn't matter what happens after this. Don't ever ever use it again. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think those threads are very much very prevalent, very culturally relevant to to this work. No, that. Th- I hadn't thought of it in that context of Japan, but obviously it, it makes total sense on their unique view of that subject matter. I always find that really fascinating when uh, you look at the Japanese perspective versus the American expect- perspective when it comes to the atom and the atomic bomb and everything like that. Like, like you, John, you mentioned Godzilla, and that's a perfect example of of how like that terrorizes the city, destroys cities. And when you look at like nuclear radiation, atomic radiation in America, it gives you superpowers. <laughs> And right. you you know you protect you protect America, truth, justice in the American way. You know it's like it's it's, but then when you we look at Japan, it's about destruction. And I always find that face fascinating from a culture perspective. And I think that's one thing that's really intriguing about anime is because it's not just a cartoon. It's not just um, like putting on Saturday morning cartoons. It's you know, it's from a different cultural perspective. And so you kind of have to broaden your own scope and your own understanding of things. And one thing that I found really, like, I, I love, give, give me a movie that has an environmental message any day of the week. And especially- well, This uh, movie is there for you kids. then. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, I was, a, I was a big fan growing up of Fern Gully. And yeah. so were my parents. And like, even though like you look back on it now, you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe we showed this to kids. Yeah, um, it doesn't hold up as you would think. <laughs> but the uh, the message is solid and it's overt and it's way more overt than this one. Uh, this one has subtlety and and uh, has, has, has a really good message. And one thing that I found fascinating uh, that differed from the anime as opposed to the uh, manga was, which was written by Miyazaki, was that the air wasn't actually toxic it was it was clean air that they that the humans couldn't process because they evolved to actually breathe what used to be toxic air hmm. and i found that fascinating uh from like obviously they didn't have the time to work that into the movie but i thought that was pretty interesting that they uh they th- this this human race uh was breathing toxic air for so long that once it went away they couldn't survive but regardless, um, from from that theme, I like I really liked the uh, how a, a female protagonist that was a kid that was bubbly and bouncy, but yet a crackerjack pilot and fearless and wanted to take care of people, and everybody loved her and respect her, no matter what age they were. Yeah, they would I all really die for liked, her from the get go. Yes, 
the devotion, I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. The devotion angle, like these these old men were just like, no, princess, no, put your mask back on. Come on, we'll do whatever you say. Just put your mask back on. Well, you know, I, I find it interesting and I, I, I'm not, I, please, I, I, I can feel the collective eye roll that I'm about to get, but. <laughs> Here we go. You know, Let me stretch. Yeah. Let, okay. There you go. There you go. Okay. All right. But what I was struck by and that, you know, this is because of my first time encountering it and stuff like that. It really struck for me again, the giant misstep specifically in terms of Nausicaa and the, these qualities that you're, you're highlighting here, Tristan, that they made a tremendous misstep in looking only essentially at American directors for the, the sequel trilogy in star Wars, because I look at the components here of this female protagonist and I say, well, this is essentially what mm. Abrams was trying to claw at, but somebody else like Miyazaki, and not necessarily him. I mean, obviously he's he, you know he's an animator and everything, but maybe somebody who was a step removed, who could process things through a different cultural lens, would have been able to construct it in such a way that would have felt more natural, like this, like Nausicaa. I fell in love with the character. I mean, it's not yeah. a surprise because anime characters are very easy to fall in love with across the board. They, 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 they do, they draw them very distinctly. And I'm not talking about drawing. I'm talking about, they construct the characters in a very, uh, very, uh, accessible way. And, um, so I, I, you know, that, that was one of the thing that was one of the thoughts that I had because of course, star Wars is on my brain all the time. So no, I that's, think that's, that's I a good point. All. No, that I definitely I've read articles about or, or people who have mentioned that that is there are similarities to the sequel trilogy. I mean, it's not the hero's journey. It's not that particular story, but that's nice. It's refreshing. That is not trying to tell that I'm I'm interested in this character that has this devotion. You know, it's not infallible, but makes good choices. Is fiercely devoted to her people, and they're devoted to her. Uh, but yeah, no, I would. I would throw some Star Wars <laughs> that away and see see what comes out. I think that would be really interesting. And we, I mean, we just recently got Star Wars Visions, which is and, exactly that. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I maybe that's why it came to mind too. I don't know. Well, what did you guys think of the English voice cast? Did you recognize uh, any uh, famous people popping along? Uh, that was half maybe, the fun. Maybe of some watching cat- yeah. the American dub. Because, like, like right off the bat, like I, I hear like a, huh. I'm like, oh, that's oh my god, that's Patrick Stewart. Yep, <laughs> yep, that's right. So we had Patrick Stewart as Lord Yupa, the Sword Master, with the biggest Who's mustache badass. known to man. I really like that character. Oh, he's so he's just just taking a sword to the forearm, like just so like in between the bones. Like, uh, uh, yeah, yep, <laughs> yeah. Um, then. And then we also have Shia LaBeouf, who was um, Asbel, who's that young boy who kind of helped her get away from the city and kind of rescued her. He's the one who attacked the convoy of airships. So I'm trying to describe it because I know the names are kind of sometimes hard to to place with we the characters. Uma Thurman as the antagonist. The Yes, the one-armed one with the- uh, princess. Yeah. I, uh, I, I actually got a big kick out of... Um, the fact that uh, uh, James Arnold Taylor is in there and Frank w- Frank Welker, anybody who oh, grew yeah. up watching cartoons in the 80s, you got to love that. But uh, Edward James Olmos was a yes. pleasant yes. surprise. As that was, was a pleasant uh, surprise. 
So Mark that was Mito with on. the uh, the eye patch for Edward James, yeah. and and then yeah, the major the mayor of uh, Pejite was was Mark Hamill, and you know, with a, I wish we got more of him. Obviously, because I Hamill's wish we did amazing. Too, yeah, um, I feel like um, I, I mean, it was also nice to hear Chris Sarandon. It's always nice mm-hmm. to hear Chris Sarandon because it's just like, oh, that's Jack Skellington and Prince Humperdinck. <laughs> humperdinck, humperdinck, humperdinck. Sorry. Yeah, that myself. that was a lot of fun. I mean, I know that a lot of people, especially a lot of purists, were are say, you know, like, no, 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 no. you got to listen to the Japanese audio and then just use English subtitles. But you, we don't always have access to those things. Like, like you know, like John, you and I, we watched it on HBO Max, and they only had the uh, the Disney dubs. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing is like I I understand that position. Uh, you know, watch it with subtitles and everything like that. But I think honestly, one of the greatest things is uh, like when you have an English dub of a work like this, uh, obviously like uh, an English dub on the UHF stations I watched of the, 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 the karate flicks growing up and everything <laughs> right. like that stuff just looked terrible, but animation dubbing it into the vernacular of the country where it's going to be just seems like such a natural step toward giving somebody the flavor of what's going on if you enjoy it and if you truly enjoy it that much you'll seek out the original and say well let me just see for comparison's sake what the what got lost in the translation because things do get lost in the translation yeah. i've seen a couple of things where like um i'm trying to remember the name of it but there was some thing where Kiefer sutherland was actually the voice on it and he said a line and i was like that absolutely is not the line that was in the original and so i <laughs> sought out the original one i'm like okay i gotta see what he actually said um <laughs> Because it was, yeah, it, it was something crazy, but something like this, where there's obviously care given to it and they're not just doing a slapdash, let's just get this out the door. They, this is a highly regarded film and they're going to put effort into choosing the right voice cast and getting the proper translations up there. I'm all for doing this and having it be the first viewing. Uh, especially, you know, if I show this to my daughter, she's not going to want to, she can't read yet, not fluently. And so it's like, it's going to be kind of a challenge, but here I have something that I can just put in front of her and she can plug into it and it exposes her to a whole new art form. Uh, Yeah. I'm all, I'm all for the dub. Have, Have either of you seen or sought out the um the original american distribution of this i haven't because this is that's true this is the 2005 disney redub as it were so there is not the original english version i i don't think i've ever listened to that one i i watched a, a, a little bit of it um after after watching nausicaa for the first time it's called uh the Oh, what the wind warrior or the warrior of the wind, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Something yeah. Like that, and it's yeah. 90, it's 95 minutes. And right. It's um, a major the, re-edit. Yeah. It's a major re-edit and they don't call her Nausicaa. They call her like Xanda or Xandar or something like that. And the, uh, the American dub, the, the, the actors who did the voiceover weren't given the full scripts. They were just given their lines and then said, "Okay, so go no read context, these lines. no, anything. no context, no mm. what, not not whatsoever." And if you listen to the audio track, like the voices and the voice sound effects, like people like grunting and everything like that, is so loud, like it overpowers the music, it overpowers the other sound effects, and it's it's laughable. And this was all because of um, Harvey Weinstein. 
And um, like Weinstein was and is famous for uh, doing this to foreign films, like slashing them up and uh, dumbing them down and uh, and everything like that. And uh, what happened was, is like Miyazaki was so pissed off about this that when um, uh, was it Spirited Away? Spirited Away or Princess Mononoke? Princess Mononoke came out. Yeah that he, they were in a meeting together and it, he said, he's like, he's like, you can't, you cannot re-edit one of my works again. And Weinstein uh, was like, no, no, we're, we're going to do that again. And he stormed out of the office. And I think one of his producers or somebody sent him a, uh, a katana, sent Weinstein a katana and it said no cuts <laughs> in, on the blade. Wow. <laughs> and so it, it what didn't get cut. Yeah. You know, it's, um, yeah, you know, I, I don't even want to talk about that character, but except for the fact that he was well known for meddling in yeah. the releases of movies. And um, so it, it's not at all surprising that, you know, I mean, honestly, stereotypical movie producer, I know what's better than the director does sort of approach to everything. And it's like, I, I'm really glad that there was a lesson there, but it's also what's interesting is that those massive edits, there were a couple of works like that, that I did encounter uh, some more obscure stuff. And that even that can have a, a benefit because if you're already a fan in the genre and you see something like that, that makes you triply determined to go out and find some better version mm, of that's it. That's true. Cause you're like this, cause I, I would be interested to watch the 95 minute version of this just so that I could say, wow. I, like, I don't know even, you know, I, I don't know specifically what you could really cut from this. And I can also say that, uh, this, the story is very reminiscent of when, uh, Katzenberg and Eisner came into Disney and deposed Roy Disney, black cauldron was already in production and that, and they, and Katzenberg, started requesting edits to the black cauldron to which, you know, Bluth was like, that's not how animation works, Jeff. Like I can't do that. And so there are actual cuts in the film. There's one in specific where you hear a symbol crash and then the cut happens. And like you, the symbol crash, like doesn't have the proper amount of time to fade because they jumped uh, across these scenes. So yeah, it's, well, it uh, was also interesting in being a dub. I mean, I think 50% of these characters have giant beards and mustaches, so you can't see their yeah. face anyway. So what was that you, about? <laughs> I don't I mean, it's an artistic style, yeah, but I guess just, it's like if you don't really want to draw mouths moving, just give them all giant beards and just jiggle them around a little bit. Uh, I mean, it worked, but I, I, it does kind of become noticeable that so many characters have these giant bushy beards. Or we're wearing masks. Like Mm -hmm, everybody, mm -hmm. so I mean, I'm not saying it's a cheat. I'm just saying it kind of feels like maybe there's a little more of a decision made in these characters to just ease the animation process. Well, I look forward to seeing the other works because maybe, maybe this is something that we see because the question was how on earth do you turn out uh, four films from 1984 to 1989? <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, if you're not animating mouths, maybe that's the way you cut the time. <laughs> you know, like it's just that, mu- that much easier. Everybody's just a, a glowing ball of energy and they don't have to you know, emote or, <laughs> yeah. or react or anything. <laughs> exactly. So you were kind of mentioning, and we've been discussing about 
you know, this 95 minute version versus the, the Disney 2005 version. Uh, and you, you were kind of saying, John, you know, it was kind of hard to see what to take out. Uh, you know, Tristan, I know when uh, we've been talking about films in the past, usually the, the beginning is kind of a good chopping block for getting quicker into the action or something along that. But was there anything that stood out in this, a subplot or something along that line where you were like, eh, I didn't really need to, have as much of that in this film or do you feel everything kind of fit together as the puzzle it should have been actually i think i think that was probably my main criticism of this movie i thought it was way too long i thought it was way too long wait i like uh i i don't want to say that i agree with that monster I mean, it's that just we talked about earlier two but... <laughs> hours so it is it is very long yeah like like i think for this story there's just I feel like I like the story. I really do. But I feel like it was poorly executed in its story because there's so many times when I was checking my watch, I was like, oh my God, like, let's, let's, let's move this along. Like, are we still in this scene? Good Lord. Like, let's, let's, let's keep it going here. Come on. Um, I I think there was a lot that we could cut. I I, I really do. I I think that this could have been shorter. This could have been tighter. Uh, I think you could have made this, um, for, I feel like you could have had this equal action and equal, you know, discovery without, um, I, I, I don't, I feel like you could cut to the action more without sacrificing too much of the story and the message because there were so many times when we were just following Nausicaa around and she was literally laying down, just, just looking at crap. And I'm like, okay, all right, let's. We we established this. Let's move it forward. You know, like that kind of thing. I feel like you could keep the structure, keep the the scenes, but just good lord, cut to the chase. Like establish and move on. Establish and move on. And I feel like this movie really suffered from that. I, I don't. I don't think that it, it's all that bad. Um, in, I know that earlier I said I don't know what you would cut, and by that I mean story structure wise. I do think there are times where you could tighten it up. I do agree with that, but. This is one of the traps, I think, um, maybe for the director, maybe for me as a viewer, is that especially with animation that I'm enjoying, I like those longer takes. I like to just sort of stare at it for a little while, like a painting sort of thing. And I'm not saying that you don't. And I'm not saying that like uh, that there aren't things, again, that could have been trimmed a little bit. You know, maybe maybe the, the take could have been five seconds instead of 10 seconds sort of thing. And so you probably could have trimmed here and there, like, you know, just a, a, a bunch of tiny little cuts here and there. Um, but, uh, you know, when it lingered, I honestly, I just enjoy the animation so much that I was very, very forgiving of it because I just like, I could have turned off the music. I could have turned off the sound and just watched this go as a reel. And so I could completely understand why, uh, the director or the people working on it sort of like fell in love with their own work. And it was because there's just so many beautiful moments in this that I think like when the, the, that first airship is crashing and there's that real sense of, of dread about, Oh my yeah. gosh, what's going to happen. That was well done. I, I love all of the airship stuff. I think is just really, really well done. Um, and I, I think that if anywhere where the tightening could happen would be, when they're in the, you know, beneath the forest sort of thing that could move a bit quicker. 
right. you could uh, bring a. Uh, there were there were maybe one or two redundant scenes where it's like okay I get it she has a connection we don't need to go through that again necessarily but you know again I, I'm I'm just very forgiving of that sort of thing just because I I just enjoyed what I was seeing so much yeah I there's definitely places that could be tightened up uh, but visually yeah I mean the it's interesting it almost makes me kind of think of. Um, like the difference between as is a weird comparison, but it's like the difference between like G one transformers and like Michael Bay transformers where Michael Bay transformers have so much detail in them. So I think of like the airships where it's like they're like every rivet is almost drawn. Like it's almost hyper detailed, which is a, it's a style, but it, it's kind of the, the contrast between, you know, the people of the Valley and, you know, the people of the air, like, you know, the Valley people don't have airships. They have a glider, maybe two, you know, they're not an industrial nation. And, you know, the other group has like tanks and armor and, you know, all, and, but you see that in the kind of the hyper detail and the extra layers that come across them. Uh, but yeah, there, there were definitely, you know, just those kind of picturesque moments. Uh, it's definitely towards the end as well, where you have, um, you know, all of the ohm going across the desert and just a sea of them everywhere and just being represented by red lights or where she's being kind of resurrected at the end in her field of gold. And yeah, you know, the, the theme cat, the theme kicks back in again, uh, you know, the, the lullaby, but you kind of want to, drift on those moments for a little longer because that's kind of the, the climax uh, as it were. But I definitely had that theme stuck in my head for a while after afterwards. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like as soon as the movie is over, it's like, la, 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 but as a question, and this is something that I, you know, that I, that I'm sort of used to, you know, watching anime and everything. What did you think of the the hits? Right, there, there were certain moments where there were little accent pieces of music, and they they come in gradual, and then they just abruptly end at the end of a conversation, sort of thing. Did you think that the the score flowed appropriately through the whole thing, or do you think that there could have been uh, more of a balance between? Uh, you know, the, the, the audio cues and what was going on on screen. Yeah, no, I wanted to talk about this because this was uh, composed by uh, Joe Hizashi, who did almost all of Miyazaki's work. So you're going to hear a lot of this guy. I think he did all but one of his pieces. And yeah, it's, you know, besides the lullaby theme, you know, that comes up we get it in the flashback anytime she's really communing with nature we kind of get that theme i'm not sure if it has a name but i you could almost give it as nausicaa's theme but yeah it i wish they had kind of themed it a little more for the different nations because that's always the hard mm. part for me with not just anime but anything where there's kind of proper names that are culturally different so it took me a while to keep it clear like okay well this is you know pageite and this is you know the tomekins and i mean even though it's only two other nations 
it starts to you st- your brain starts to get logged down with like proper names and places you're like okay wait you know where are we and where are we going and so musical themes could really help reinforce that if we heard like a trumpet fanfare every time we went to Tomika that you know all you got to do is chime that in again and we know who we're looking at um you know you know they, not that they didn't have different uh costumes and wardrobe and things like that but it the more you can differentiate between the groups from the get-go the easier i think it would be to assimilate that into so you're not spending extra brain energy trying to tell who you're looking at you're just like oh that's so and so and that's so and so and and music could be a great way to do that that's a great idea yeah i think that that's all that's a very that's a very common problem in sci-fi and fantasy oh yeah post-apocalyptic stuff is that like all these proper nouns you're just like i need a glossary in order to watch (laughs) this movie and yeah i think music is a a really clever way to to kind of get those cues out and is this was really this was a really strange thing music wise for me because there were some parts that i really enjoyed and a lot of times i didn't i like i really didn't where it took me out of it like the the 80s synth i'm like oh <laughs> it's just like it was it was horrific but then you got something a little bit more orchestral and a little bit more soulful and i was like this is nice so it was very schizophrenic with its with its music no, yeah, it it does go kind of all over the place, but uh but again, you're especially in fantasy, exp- I mean, you're you know, in one moment you're chopping trees and the next moment you're in an airship. So it's like where do you find the balance in this musical tone that is not high fantasy but is also just everyday life? You know, it can be a really different uh, or a difficult thing to master. So I don't begrudge them their their duty at all. I really enjoy and like speaking of the airships and the technology of the what were those people called? We were just talking about that tribe. The like Tomekins. Tomekins, yeah. yeah. I really like the the World War II Nazi throwback stuff that they had going on with the tanks and the ships and the the masks. It just it felt it was very evocative of Axis. You almost had kind of a holy war vibe where, you know, the knights a lot of sword play and uh, you know, of course they all pale in comparison with our man Yupa, but uh yeah I mean, if somebody killed him they'd be famous yeah <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. all die so it's like is it worth it i don't think so uh what did you think john of the just the between the different nations and the way they kind of spread them out was it were you able to track it or was it one uh, you know sub population too many no, I, I agree with the the note that there, you know, if the music had been a little bit more distinct between the groups, it would have been helpful. I think that there's also, there was some color differentiation, but I think it should have been amped up a little bit more uh, when you brought in the pageites, pageites, pageites. Um, like the, the, the coloration could have been uh, a bit more separated, uh, especially when you when you got to that group in specific uh but i all i i did find it very interesting that you had all of these different groups and their goals were all fairly clear which for a story like this is 
I, I suppose I've been uh, used and abused by the American film system for the last 20 years to the point where it's like, hey, look, clear motivation. That's awesome. And it's the same motivation. All right, cool. I can dig that. Um, and, you know, and I did, I thought that the, the nature of the cultures when they were put next to each other was distinct enough. But if you got any distance with them, it was like, wait, okay, how are they? Why are they different again? You know, th- that sort of thing. So you, it's one of those things where the contrasts really had to be close together to draw them out. Uh, for for how that was going to play well and it there was kind of that overlap in the beginning of the story where it's like oh it's a tomekin airship but it captured the princess of you know pageite so you've you're throwing two cities at the same time but you got to right. be clear and then the other princess shows up so she's got to be the princess from this there's a lot of princes we see three princesses in this movie there's you know they they almost i mean one dies so we don't see her as as much but uh yeah it no, I, I think they keeping it at three, any more than three, I think it would have been too much to kind of comprehend what's going on. Or maybe the insects would be the fourth kingdom. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. yeah, just these, these, these giant, you know, the ohm, that that's just a visually striking creature. Like you see it and you're going to recognize it any other time you see it, the covered with the eyes and, you know, very clearly like eyes blue, it's calm eyes, red, it's enraged. Like it's very clear the motivation of this giant, uh, you know, foot mouthed creature, you know, that is very terrifying when it's stampeding towards you on the desert. Uh, but no, I, I like the, the design of the insects and just that. Yeah. Just that interesting story that they're plucking from the Magna, you know, which I'm sure was a much broader story. And then they have to find one core piece of it to turn to this epic film or film. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's epic. Maybe it's not. Well, I, one of the things I, I liked as well about the, the way that they approach nature, again, getting back to the, the Godzilla thing was you could never beat it. Nature, whether, right. whether it was a toxic force, whether it was the, the, the ohm, whether it was, whatever it was, Nature was always more powerful than any of them were. You could bait the ohm into an attack. You could, uh, you know, set one side against the other, but everything was this desire, not desire, but this struggle to try to stay ahead of the fact that nature was going to win, period, no matter what. You, and, and so the, the people of the valley were the ones that were truly ahead because they'd found a way to live in harmony with it and keep right. things in balance. Use and fire so, in little bits, not destroy right. the entire forest and and so right. on. Right, exactly. And and meanwhile, you know, the 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 Tamekans and the the Pageites, they were they viewed nature as a tool or something to be conquered or something to be manipulated. And so I, I thought that was you know uh, Again, I think that's that same underlying cultural theme of the fact that no matter what you do, the earth is going to win. We we right. could lose, but the earth is going to win. No, that's true. That's very true. So before we get to ratings, I had one last thing I wanted to touch on. Is there a favorite scene from the movie that you either visually or story-wise, and I'll go first to give you some moments. Uh, I really like 
uh, not the airship crashing, but when the convoy of Tomekin airships and they start to get attacked by the one flyer and you get the, you know, ship number three is down and, you know, ship number two is gone. And it's just, and, and the princess is just sitting in the front one, just like pedal to the metal. Let's just keep going. Cause as her people, I mean, she's losing what has to be a very large task force to this one little, you know, airship. Uh, but yeah, but visually just that story pace and, you know, you get a little more of Nausicaa's character of just why are we fighting? Why are we just killing each other? Like, again, we're humanity is in a survival mode and we're just killing each other over these petty squabbles and we're losing all this equipment and technology and, and people, which are these valuable resources. So I just, I love that scene. I think it, it really establishes again, because that's the first time we're kind of seeing all three nations you have the pegite attacker the um valley of the wind represented by the princess and her you know little tugboat friends and the tomekins you know in their big over detailed uh airships so that was mm-hmm. i think one of my favorite scenes of of the whole thing uh i would uh i would go ahead and say for <laughs> There were some great scenes throughout that I really enjoyed. I I did enjoy the air battle a great deal, especially when they were going in and out of the clouds. We can't stay in here. We'll get destroyed. We got to take our chances. They were, you know, I thought that was a really well staged Mm. sort of thing because you're, you're up just in the clouds, but I didn't lose a sense of place. There was still a, a, um, uh, you know, a spatial logic to it that made sense while you were watching it. Uh, but my favorite scene would probably be when Yupa comes downstairs and finds her in her little lab mm, and the she goes through kind of forest. Yeah. And, yeah. And she says it's the, it's the soil and the water that's poison. It's not the spores. They're not at fault. And so again, it, it made the, uh, it made everything a little bit more complex in the sense, and I, I think again ties into that whole atomic anxiety sort of thing that, that is there in Japanese culture, where the plants will grow back, the plants will replicate, the plants will 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 be there. But guess what? If you poison the soil and the water, the plants aren't going to be on your side anymore. And so it's not just a battle against the plants. You find out it's it's what we've done to the earth itself, and the plants are actually what's going to save it and us, you know, in, in turn. So. I really, I really like that scene. I thought because I thought it was Nausicaa is everybody loves her. Everybody is with her. We have the three princesses, you know, laid out there for. We have the warrior princess. We have Nausicaa. We have the the princess type princess, the medieval type princess. She's got the crown and the dress and everything like that. But I think this scene is also very, very cool in the sense that Nausicaa isn't just elevated because of her position or because she can fly it's she's really intelligent and she's figured out something that nobody else has and right. so i really like that scene yeah and they you know even mention that in the past you know mankind has burned down the forest thinking that'll solve the problem and it doesn't and they get close to doing that again so uh yeah no that that's a great great scene again kind of makes me think of of star wars visions like there's some scenes like that in very similar of the the secret lab or the i've discovered something um so what about you tristan did you have a favorite scene or visual moment 
I uh, I really enjoyed whenever Nausicaa was on her glider. Uh, mm. I, I thought that was really cool and just really well done. Like every single time I saw her on a glider, I was like, I want one of those. <laughs> I really want one of those. That would be sometimes so cool. Sometimes she's under just, it. Sometimes she's on top of it. Sometimes she's standing she, like, on it. Yeah, like like she she holds it above her head and like jumps off a cliff. And then you see her in the distance, like do a little flip and get on top of it. And uh, yeah, I just thought that was really cool. But uh, probably my favorite scene would be when she discovers her father dead and she just goes bananas on those guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like she just like you like you're surprised that someone that small could you know <laughs> damage these huge knights wearing armor and everything like that but she can because she's so full of rage i i really enjoyed that scene i thought that was really well choreographed and and blocked and we get the awesome your lord yupa you know stopping the blade with his forearm while keeping a knife up between the armor of the other guy because he's he has the experience and he sees the writing on the wall it's like if you keep fighting they will just kill us all like we have to find another way but yeah, mm-hmm. you did just wipe the floor, princess, with all of these armored people in this room. Like, yeah, they they'll think twice. Uh, yeah, no, I loved I loved that moment of fierceness, but also the moments where she just used her head, like especially when the animals were attacking or the insects, and she was like, "Oh no, I'll just use my insect collar whirly tube." I don't whatever the thing was called. It had a name, but uh, yeah, she just always chose the other option rather than the first thing in front of you of attack or retreat. And it just made her a really interesting character. All right. Well, uh, besides the title having maybe one too many ofs in it, there's a lot, <laughs> it, it feels a little, a little over of, but uh, let's go to our ratings and I don't have to start because I'm leading this week. So we're going to see how we test the water. John, uh, what rating would you give this first foray into Miyazaki with Nausicaa of the Valley of the Winds of the anime? Uh, I would give this uh, four of the stars of the rating. Uh, and it's a very <laughs> solid four. Um, th- this is something that I will sit down and watch with the youngest uh, and maybe gently recommend to the oldest uh, who's exploring a little bit of interest in anime right now. So uh, following in dad's footsteps, which is a very proud thing. But um, I, yeah, I will, uh, I, I will return to this. This is, this is enjoyable. Like I said, this is, this is something I'd have on in the background so that I could glance at it and just yeah. in, enjoy the visual work. Uh, and I really enjoy the animation style. So I, I understand and appreciate its place in everything. And it makes me want to see more from uh miyazaki so yeah solid four is where i land wonderful well yeah you'll definitely it'll be a great background like a packing movie when you're packing for a trip you know have something on in the background you don't have to be watching every every moment and then you'll have that little lullaby stuck in your head your whole trip so yep for weeks (laughs) afterward what about you tristan uh and did you i forget did you say if you watch this with your wife or did you watch this by yourself I watched this with uh, my wife, which was a Herculean task because she, I, when I when I told her that we were going to be doing Miyazaki next, she's like, "Oh," <laughs> so I was like, "No, no, 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 we're just we're just going to do the '80s," and she's like, "Well, how many is that? <laughs> Four. <laughs> well, what would you give uh, this film 
full picture and you can use half points if you want you're allowed <laughs> um who uh i uh two two and a half somewhere around in there like i did not enjoy this movie i there were aspects of it that i really enjoyed i really liked the characters i really liked the story and the message but i thought it was very poor execution the pacing was absolutely atrocious as i've as i've talked about before I just, it was so hard for me to get into it because of the, because of the pacing. I really like the art direction. I love the designs and the, of course the animation is fantastic, but I mean, a pretty picture will only get you so far. And I was just, you know, like the, the plot is introduced with the crash of the airship, but the plot does not get engaged until well after the hour mark. And that's a really hard pill to swallow. and. It's just, I felt like there was too many fundamental flaws in basic filmmaking for me to really grab hold of this and, and say like, yeah, this is a good film. Now I know that I'm in the minority in this. I know that this is a beloved classic. And so obviously this is tapping into something that I can't tap into or haven't been able to tap into. But from my perspective, yeah, I'd probably give it a, just to be generous because the animation is so good at two and a half. Well, no. And again, things being a beloved classic doesn't mean, you know, yeah, it's, it's a, I'm glad as a start to introduce to Miyazaki, I think it's a good baseline to kind of show you what you're kind of in store for. Cause definitely I will say the next three films are, some are are very similar to this and some are very different. So you're going to, I think have something, I think there'll definitely be something of this four that you'll enjoy uh, not that you didn't enjoy this one for its aspects, but, uh, but yes, Philistine, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, I, I too will give this a, a four, uh, it's great background. Um, you know, it's rewatchable. Like I'll probably put this on again next week just to, you know, enjoy, as, you know, sometime in between all the other movies I'm watching, but, uh, yeah, it, it had been a while since I had watched this one and, isn't it always the case that right when you think of watching something, you're going to start podcasting about it. So you have to hold off a bit so then you can watch it freshly <laughs> for talking about it. That always seems to happen to me, but maybe that's just me. Uh, but yeah, it, besides having maybe one too many ofs in the title, uh, it's a, it's a fun film. I love Nausicaa. I think she's a great character. Uh, but yeah, it does. It kind of reminded me of for people who don't know, like the original cut of star Wars, where they attack the Death Star twice. Like they, like they, mm-hmm. so much happens. Yeah. And it kind of feels like that because there is, you know, the princess is captured and then she's over here. And now we're going over here. And it's like, yeah, you probably could have cut out one of those capturings or something like that and, and tightened it up together. Uh, or like you said, Tristan, you know, maybe do more, even more introduction of the, the Valley of the wind and their people. But then once that inciting incident of the airship crash happens, like full steam towards that finale, instead we kind of meander on our path there. All right. Well, again, this has been great shifting to a new director here on Haslights, but of course you can listen to this and other great shows here on the nerd party network. Go to join 
Go to thenerdparty.com and check out all of our amazing shows. We have Star Trek shows, Star Wars shows, uh, Baker shows. You know, we're talking about film, different aspects. It's just one of the things I really love about listening to the Nerd Party is all of the different variety of things out there. Uh, and John, if someone wanted to talk to you about your favorite airship design, uh, where'd they find you? Well, gosh, you can find me reconstructing airships left and right and my own little gunship that at some point will fly once I fold these wings down. Hopefully not during an emergency while the rest of the plane surrounding it is on fire. Uh, as Kessel Junkie out there on your social network of choice, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E, Twitter, Letterboxd, uh, that's pretty much where I spend my time sadly so i mean letterbox good twitter ugh, whatever what's wrong with me and you can find me here on the network co-hosting a show called aggressive negotiations a star wars podcast uh with matthew rushing and it's a star wars podcast of a slightly different sort so come on over and join us over there and tristan where would someone find you if they wanted to talk about all that beautiful fire animation uh, you can uh, talk to me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd, just like John, but at the Insane Robin. Uh, you can also find a Lower Decks podcast that me and my friend Charlene Schmidt do. It's a commentary podcast, and you guys should check it out because we just finished season two. And if someone wanted to talk to me about uh, what trip I'm packing for while I watch this in the background, they can go to drsci-fi.com, D-R-S-C-I-F-I, where I have my project videos, uh, troop blogs, and podcasts listed. But again, as we are moving through the 80s of Hayao Miyazaki, next week we'll be talking about 1986 Castle in the Sky. So we'll see you next week here on House Lights. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.